today on Ag News Daily. In business and in life, you're going to have a reputation. And it's really important to participate in developing your own reputation. And what we want to do with our dollars is, is make sure that the real story about real pork is coming out and making sure that uh, people understand. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, I am completely off today. I keep thinking today is Wednesday, but it certainly is not. See, I keep thinking today is Friday, so it sounds like we're all mixed around. (laughs) I think it's because we've had a shortened week this week due to the 4th of July holiday. But yeah, I'm super mixed around. I can't decide what today is. Apparently Wednesday in my head. (laughs) Well, and I'm also back at my parents' house. And I normally, I won't go back until like a Thursday or Friday. But I came back yesterday, so I'm all thrown off too. But I mean, we've been having some fun already. Coralie and I, who's my youngest sister, she will be in the fourth grade this year. But we went to turn the porticles on some of our steers in the barn because it is pretty dang hot down here. And we have a bunch of frogs that like to hang out around the barn and around the porticles specifically. And so my dad tasked us with if we if we catch these frogs and feed them to our chickens, he gives us money, apparently, according to Corley. So we caught, I think, around like 20 frogs today and just went and threw them in the chicken pen. So I've been feeling a real country today. <laughs> hmm. You can eat them. That's the real question. I mean, they're so small that we couldn't eat them, but our chickens seem to love them. <laughs> they say that frogs taste like chicken. Have you ever had frogs? I have not, no. I have. Well, actually, wait, I'm trying to think. I know I've had alligator. I don't remember if I've had frog. See, I've had fried alligator before. And I mean, it tastes like chicken, doesn't really taste like anything. So I'm sure frog probably tastes the same. They're swimming in that gross water. So I can't imagine that they'll taste too great, though. No, I I suppose maybe not so much in your instance there, but uh, let's see. I don't really have a good segue to get away from talking about frogs. I don't know if you do, but uh, let's kick things off here, Ashton, with a bit of news related to the commodity markets. And that is July WASD expectations. We've, of course, got a big WASD report coming out on Monday at 11 a.m. Central Time. And this one you know, usually not expected to be a huge market mover, but there are a couple of things that we should be watching for in this report specifically. One of those is analyst expectations when it comes to yield. Now, of course, USDA doesn't necessarily follow in line with what analysts are projecting, but the average analyst surveyed by Bloomberg put corn yields at a 178.7 bushels per acre compared to a 179 and a half that we saw back in June. So of course that would be bullish for the report if we do see a reduction in yield. But uh, even with lower yields, the projection offsets production for grains about only one and a half million uh, bushels. So not going to be a huge reduction lower. But the other big one to watch here is what USDA does with the Safrina Brazilian corn crop. And a lot of private estimates that we've been talking about, even the CONAB today, cut Brazilian Safrina corn crop production. So it's going to be interesting to see if USDA will do that on Monday's WASD report. And of course, that would be bullish for the report overall. The big wild card is what we're going to see as far as um, ending stocks go. So that's kind of a wild card right now. 
uh, as far as average ending stocks, the average trades expecting about a 1.088 billion bushel carryover, or excuse me, ending stock and uh, soybeans about a 1.34 million bushel ending stock. So uh, overall, I would say we're pretty mixed as far as the range goes uh, for both corn and soybeans there. So we'll just have to wait and see what that report brings on Monday. But I'm excited it's going to be markets on Monday, Ashen. So we'll get to dive deep into this report on Monday. That sounds fantastic, Nalini, but I have some not so fantastic news to share with you. Just to go ahead and get this out of the way, I keep seeing the words state of emergency. There's over 30 counties in Florida that are under a state of emergency right now because of Hurricane Elsa. Japan is under a state of emergency right now. Specifically, I think just in the city of Tokyo, I don't know if it's expanded outside of Tokyo, but there's not going to be any spectators at the Olympics this summer because of COVID-19. And then there's four counties in Michigan that are under a state of emergency. That's uh, Washtenaw, Huron, and Ionia counties, in addition to Wayne County, following some heavy rains and tornadoes that they experienced last week at the end of June. This order is just allowing for emergency assistance to help with recovery efforts, but this severe weather also caused intermittent crop and farm damage in those areas. Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan has filed at least 500 claims across the state since the storms took place, with roughly 90% of them related to the heavy rains. And I know we keep talking about weather, but I mean, this is pretty intense and something else intense, you know, relating to weather that's been going on is um with with our cattle producers it has been said that they're past the point of wait and see Dr. Joe Armstrong, who's a University of Minnesota Extension Cattle Production Systems educator, that's quite the uh, the name there, but he was quoted as saying, it's too late for a lot of producers because we didn't get enough rain early. A lot of it will have to do with how patient producers were early in the season. Did they let their grass grow or did they turn out cattle without grass being at the correct height? So he's advising people that they're going to have to figure out some way on how to save grass and body condition on cows. So our plants are seeing too much rain. Our cattle are not seeing enough rain. It's just a real mix up right now. I don't know what to say past this. I feel like my my mind is kind of just boggled at this point. Yeah, I agree, Ashton, especially because if you would have had this conversation a month ago, even it it was no rain anywhere for anyone. So we are starting to see some timely rain and interesting how things are playing out here. That's for sure. It certainly is, Delaney. And I mean, we keep talking about the U.S., but up in Canada, too, the canola and wheat farmers up there are really hoping for rain because those crops are (laughs) withering away. So I don't know what to expect. And yesterday we were just talking about how we really don't have any margin for error. So I don't know, you know, what it's going to look like come harvest season. And I'm a little anxious to say. We, we certainly don't. And, you know, you couple that with the potential to see Brazil have a reduction in corn crop this year. We just don't have a lot of room for error uh, globally here. So it's going to prove to be an interesting, interesting trading season this come this fall when we see the crop getting pulled out of the ground. But switching tracks here just a little bit. We saw the Federal Reserve meeting minutes were released today for their June meeting. 
And this was anticipated to kind of give a reflection of what Wall Street sees and the economy sees moving forward here. And so while the committee did talk about tapering higher interest rates, they basically want to see a full recovery post-COVID first. So rate hikes and tightening are a long way off here, not going to come until probably 2023 is what it sounds like. The Fed also did, though, acknowledge inflation concerns, but said that most of the price increases were transitory, which essentially means short-term in nature. But uh, we'll continue to watch that story and see what happens there. I know inflation is still a hot topic going on right now. A lot of people have their own take on it, but the Fed says for now, they're not concerned. So, Well, Delaney, I did see that world food prices fell in June for the first time in over 12 months, which was just pushed lower by declines in vegetable oils, cereals, and dairy products, according to the United Nations. And I think this is all kind of due to a mix of things. Uh, The the article that I was reading, it talked about import and export demand, weather, um, a few other things that I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but I've got to say, I, there was a little bit of fear mongering, I think, that I saw on TikTok. My mom sent me this video and she said, is this true? There was a man on there um, saying that every farmer that he knows has gotten a, a letter from the USDA saying that they can either throw away this crop for a certain amount of money or requesting that they throw away this crop for a certain amount of money. And he was saying that they're trying to purposely cause shortages just to, I guess, do something with the economy, trying to, you know, take control of it. But I thought that that was pretty interesting. I don't think that that's the truth. I haven't heard anything about it besides this one video. And I, I couldn't really believe it. And I went to look on his other videos as well. And they were kind of full of, uh, excuse my language, but full of BS, if you ask me. (laughs) So I think that he was just kind of trying to fear monger in relation to the economy, because I don't think that a lot of consumers exactly know how those things kind of you know, work when it comes to food and especially crops. But I, uh, I thought it was very interesting. I don't know if you've heard anything about that either, Delaney. No, I, I haven't, Ashton, to be honest with you. So I'm glad you've been keeping an eye on that. Hey, don't thank me. Thank my mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Uh, I think the only other thing I've been keeping an eye on today, Ashton, was, I guess, speaking kind of in line with food, but uh, a little bit more production-based here. And that is... Where China's at as far as hog production and also hog purchases go. Today, the Chinese government bought 17,000 tons of pork. And that purchase apparently came short of the planned volume that they were originally planning to purchase, according to a brokerage firm in Hong Kong. They basically said that their goal was originally to buy 20,000 tons of pork, but that goal was hindered by the reluctance from sellers as prices have been giving producers and folks there only limited options as far as prices and margins go. So uh, basically this sale was the price of about $4,000 per ton. And that is still pretty high compared to where prices have been. Hog prices, of course, have recently jumped up after the government announced that they are planning to stockpile the meat. And so now we're seeing the struggle between wholesale pork prices and buyers and sellers. So sounds like China's going to have a hard time building up stockpiles here if we do continue to see uh, prices like this continue to push and pull market dynamics there. 
Well, Delaney, I just have one other story to share today, and it's coming out of Europe. I feel like we don't talk about the European Union a whole lot, but this news was a little bit hard hitting. Dr. David Hughes, who is a professor at uh, the Imperial College in London, he's also an international food policy expert, says that it's becoming the end of the cage age in Europe. He said that the European Union Parliament has given the green light to ban cages for all food animals. That's for chickens, chickens for meat, chickens for eggs, pork, hogs, dairy, everything. He also explained that they're also calling for all imports into the European Union or those products to meet the same standards. And he's expecting that this is going to ruffle some feathers. Hughes says that... This could cause a lot of problems in trade negotiations, especially with the U.S. and, of course, some other top importing or exporting countries to the EU. This cage ban is close to full approval by the EU Parliament, and when it goes into effect, European taxpayers are going to be the ones that are footing the bill. But I definitely thought that this was interesting, and honestly, I feel like the EU has been a little bit more particular about their caged animals or their non-caged animals, I guess I should say. So I'm not too surprised, but I am uh, expecting that this could hurt, of course, like Dr. Hughes says, our relationship with the EU. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's maybe been heading on this path for a while as you see EU have different rules and regulations compared to the United States. So uh, maybe not a big surprise here. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Not a, a super big surprise, but definitely not a headline that I wished I was reading off today. But Delaney, uh, that's all I have for you. How about we get into the markets? Let's do it. And there weren't any big surprises. Thankfully, today, I think we may be hopefully calm heading into next week's WASD report. Uh, did see some mixed trade on the screen today when it came to the grain markets. Kicking things off here in the September corn contract down six cents to close at 536 and three quarters. The D's down seven and a quarter cent to close at 523 and three quarters. In the soybean pits today, the August contract down a penny and a half to close at 13 65 and a quarter. The November down seven and three quarters cents to close at 13, 19 and a half. And in wheat today, that's where some of the mixed trading began because we saw July Chicago contract down two and a half cents to close at 612 and a quarter. The September down four and a quarter to close at 618. However, when you flip things over into the hard red winter wheat pit, we saw strength today as we're continuing to wait to see what comes out with harvest numbers. September contract up three and a half cents today to close at 588. The D up three and a half to close at 599 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits, we had mostly weakness today across the screen as the August live cattle contract closed down at $1.32 to end at $1.1927.5. The October closed down $1.25 to close at $1.2545. And hopping over into the feeder cattle pits, the August contract down $1.67.5 today to close at $1.5732. The September down $1.50 to close at $1.6002.5. And and in the lean hog market today, we saw some mixed trade with the August contract closing down two cents to close at $100.37.5. The October down 37.5 cents to close at $84.10. Now wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures, the August contract up 61 cents today to close at $17.53. 
The September up 64 to close at 1780. Ashton, without further ado, tell us who we're talking to for today. Well, we have another World Pork Expo interview talking about the pork checkoff with NPB. Well, today we are talking to Jean Noom, who is the president of NPB, and we are talking to Cheryl Day, who is the executive director of the Ohio Pork Council. That's quite an awful lot to say, but I'm so glad that you guys could be on the Ag News Daily podcast today. I'm going to start off here with Jean, just talking a little bit more on what you've been up to since the last World Pork Expo. It's been some time. Yeah, my heart, my hair wasn't darker then, but it's been a long while. I'm really glad that we're able to bring this group back together again after at first having to cancel because of the threat of African swine fever and then of course in 2020. But this has been a great event and we're really seeing people renew relationships and vendors being able to connect with producers and and just having a uh, a good time being back together. So before we really deep dive into our conversation, I think there is at least some general kind of confusion as to what NPB really does. So why don't you deep dive into that and give us the the view of what you guys are actually doing for the pork industry. Okay, Uh, to put some roots to it, in 1985, there was federal legislation that created the the Pork Act, and the Pork Act designated mandatory checkoff funds from every pig that's sold in the U.S. to fund research, education, and promotion in the United States for pork specifically. And today what we're doing is uh, piling those dollars into efforts that help uh, both create trust and and create a new image for our our pork producers, making sure that um, uh, the public understands that pork is good for the planet, pork is good for human health, um, and we just enjoy our products as well. I certainly enjoyed pork as well. I think I was just talking to Jen Sorensen, um, president of NPPC, about how I think that pork is definitely an underrated industry. And I definitely think that, you know, more people should eat pork. But with those dollars that you're, you guys are using, you're also putting that, of course, towards some research about consumer ideas and their thoughts about yeah. the pork industry and what they're consuming. So why is that research necessary for our pork producers? I often tell people that in, in business and in life, you're going to have a reputation. And it's really important to participate in developing your own reputation. And what we want to do with our dollars is, is make sure that the real story about real pork is coming out and making sure that uh, people understand uh, how good pig farming niches in with good environmental programs and how it fits with natural farming and soil health and how today's facilities actually promote improved water quality. It's the reason we build them because in the 70s we started to put hardened containers to put manure in and then produce uh, a product that could be put on agronomic rates on the fields. But probably more importantly, we want to make sure that people understand what goes on in farms and why we have farms the way we are, we do to ensure that we've got a good life for the animals that we care for. And Cheryl, I mean, I've been talking with Jean this whole time, but of course you're here to chat about the pork industry as well. So why don't we dive into what you do and how uh, things have been going over there in Ohio? Yes. Um, so what's wonderful about our collaboration with the uh, Pork Checkoff and the National Pork Board is that they give us the resource, the tools to really help our farmers on a state level, right? So we we also want to promote pork as, as, as positively and let everybody know how wholesome and fresh and great it is. 
but we need to understand what the consumer really wants. And sometimes we just don't have the resources at the state level. So we rely on our national partners so that we can find real solution for our farmers. So it's whether we're promoting pork to the consumer or if we're helping our producers do right every day in those barns. So is there anything that Ohio specifically has been implementing to really advocate for the industry? Yeah, we have a lot of great things going on in Ohio. So uh, we leverage the checkoff dollars as they come to the state, but we also reach out for um, the state promotion dollars too. So we go for extra grant money too. So what we use that for is to do different programs. I like to have different buckets going at the same time. So normally we um, would promote so we had to change our promotion, right, during COVID. So we switched really quickly with uh, different digital ads and reaching the consumer and preparing that pork at home. Now that we're opening up, we're going to leverage our checkoff dollars to promote restaurants. We want those people getting back in there for breakfast. So we're having the best of the Buckeye breakfast going on right now. We actually teamed up our dollars with poultry, so egg and bacon, right? And so that is a good collaboration. But on the farm level in Ohio, water quality is a big issue. And so we have to help our farmers find the right solutions to help with the phosphorus load. And so without those experts and the collaboration that the checkoff gives us, we can't help our farmers make better decisions on the farm. So is there anything from a legislative standpoint that you're doing to help your farmers with this water issue? I didn't know that that was something, of course, that our Ohio producers had to deal with. I mean, I have never been to Ohio. I'm from Texas, so I didn't realize that. So, I mean, let's dive into that just a little bit more. So since we're talking about checkoff, we don't really get into the political arena. We will do only educational efforts. But one thing that we're going to do with Ohio is um, we have a unique partnership with our other ag commodity groups. And so it's called the Ohio Ag Conservative initiative, we actually pair up with environmental groups. And we said, you know what, we're going to quit, call each other names, quit being on the different spectrum and fighting about water quality, and let's find out what's real solutions. What we use is we use what we learn on the environmental side with those experts that Checkoff has for us and those uh, information that they give to us. And we use that and we dive into the data that we need to collect and we help show them, the farmers, what the best management practices should be used on the farm. So Cheryl, what can we expect here going into the future from Ohio? Uh, I think great things are coming to Ohio. We have a lot of things uh, coming on the pipeline. We want to do more outreach with our local chefs. We don't think restaurants there are. We're going to go out and we're going to bravely say, okay, we don't see as much pork on the menu. How can we help you and teach you how to do craft entrees, kind of like a craft brewery? We're going to pair up seasoned chefs with um, fresh new chefs and teach them about pork. We're going to have um, a new foodie event, but we will leverage everything that we can to promote pork through our checkoff dollars. And Gene, just like what's going on in Ohio, I'm sure that there's a lot of great things going on from a national standpoint. So again, what can we expect for the future of NPD? Sure, I, I, I'm really appreciative of what uh, Cheryl just shared about trying to uh, help on the restaurant side be creative with pork. We need to make sure that we're well positioned. There's other sides of the what we do with the pork checkoff too from a research and preparedness perspective. For example, one of the things that's going on around in the world is, is uh, the movement of um, uh, certain diseases like African swine fever and we gotta be well prepared. So what uh, pork checkoff has done is uh, 
invested um, a amount of money to create something called AgView. And AgView is that platform that producers can share confidentially information about pig movements and pig inventories and status of, uh, of the health of those animals relative to a foreign animal disease so that if, a, um, if an outbreak were to happen, we're well prepared and we've got that, that concept of contact tracing really firmly entrenched so that farmers and regulators can work together to isolate a disease, clean it up, and make sure that we can maintain um, our supply chain movement and in particular maintain export markets, which is really important. Uh, one little fact that a lot of uh, folks may not know that up until 1993, the U.S. was a net importer of pork. In 1993, that changed, and today about 30% of all the pork we produce leaves the country. Preparedness around this kind of thing is really important for us. Absolutely. Well, Gene and Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about NPB and what's going on in the pork industry. And we definitely appreciate not only your support, but everything that you, know, you guys do and NPB does for the pork industry. Thank you. Big thanks again there to the folks at MPB for inviting us to come and chit chat with them. Of course, we did talk about a couple of things with them. We just featured an interview yesterday talking about real pork. So folks, if you want to catch up on that, you can do so at agnewsdaily.com and be sure to follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agnewsdaily while you're at it. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.